everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Jeff Paulson, uh, sitting in uh, the, uh, I believe, the home studios today in Seattle, Washington, is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing? Hey, it's great. It's uh, a little cold in here. Uh, we're having the uh, roof replaced. Or do you have one of the, you have a retractable, I forgot, you're in Seattle, you have a retractable roof. All right, so uh, before each episode, I like to give you a option, an out, if you will, if you don't feel like talking about baseball history today. So today we can either talk about baseball history or we can break down how my interviews went with the Phillies, Giants, Angels, Cubs, Mets, and Pirates. Uh, I am, in case you didn't know, interviewing to be the manager of one of those clubs. Oh, nice. Um, I think I, I think I got them all. I mean, everybody's beating down my door to talk to me about so, these openings. So you're going to have to make a decision. Man, that might be something to discuss, but maybe not today. Let's talk about baseball history. All right, let, let's do that. Uh, so uh, before we get started uh, in our BP segment, we start out with kangaroo court. Should it be needed? And I got to tell you, it's needed today. Got a couple of couple of fines are going to need to be levied here, Mark. Uh-oh. Uh, first off, uh, Instagram user JCH Collins pointed out that way back in episode five, and I'm not going to mention any names here, but uh, one of us was relaying the story of Fred Merkel. Yes. And uh, Merkel's Merkel's mishap. Yes. Better than the the other one. The blunder. Uh, the blunder. Is the blunder. It. Yeah. So one of us said that Connie Mack. Uh, was actually managing the Cubs at some point. And that's uh, kind of weird, because obviously Connie Mack managed the Pirates for three years and then the Philadelphia Athletics for no less than 50. So <laughs> so, so he couldn't have snuck one in there. Yeah, I see probably did Probably did not head over to uh to Wrigley at that point no so uh actually in 1908 Frank Chance of the famed Tinkers to Evers to Chance uh, double play combination was in fact the manager of the Cubs so uh Mark I'm gonna have to levy a fine here on this one this one was particularly egregious I'm gonna go $25 to you on that one so I'll just add that to the tab we do have another one yeah just I'll just add it Twitter user the McMayor caught us again. I'm not going to use any names, but in our Nolan Ryan spectacular, <laughs> I I'm, I'll I'll own up to this one. I might have said that Jason Veritek won the World Series with the Red Sox in 2004, and for some reason, I said they also won it apparently back to back in 2005. Where clearly that should have been 2004 and 2007. Yes. So I'm gonna. I will have to find myself. And uh, see, I find you $25, so I am going to write myself down here for $0.25. Cents. So that... Uh, <laughs> that seems fair. It, totally fair. Yeah. And you know what happens if you question the judge in the kangaroo court, so... Oh, uh, yeah. That's why I'm not. No, it's all good. Makes sense yep, to me, uh, man. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I did mention that I was interviewing for the Angels managerial spot. Now... Uh, regular listeners know that sometimes you have an alias that you go by in this show, a.k.a. Johnny Washington. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, apparently you are also up for this gig as the manager of the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. The uh, Johnny Washington, the 35-year-old hitting coach for the San Diego Padres, is amongst those being interviewed. Yeah, so. I was going to tell you about that. Uh, we, I'm surprised I didn't, I didn't bump into you in the lobby. 
<laughs> I didn't want you to be upset at me because I know it's a job you really want, you know. Let's talk about Joey Votto again. So yes. last week I, I mentioned some leaders of the past decade. Did you know out of the 10 obvious seasons in the last decade, Joey Votto was the National League on base percentage seven times out of the decade. I did not know that. He also led the the National League in walks. Uh, I think it was four or five out of those 10 years. I mean, the guy is an on-base machine. So my question to you, because I think we spoke a couple of episodes ago that, you know, since you and I both kind of focus on the American League and particularly the American League West, yes, that we don't get a lot of Joey Votto information. We don't. First of all, we, we were both kind of blown away the fact that he's 36 years old. But uh, he's been in the league for 13 years. He consistently leads the league in walks. As I said, on base percentage, he plays, if as long as he's not hurt, he plays about 158 to 162 games a year. Looking at his career numbers, he has a career lifetime batting average of 307, an OPS plus of 150, and his career war is 55.4. Jeez. He did win the uh, MVP in 2010. Now, my question to you is, do you think off the top of your head here that Joey Votto is a future Hall of Famer? I think he's certainly got a shot at it. Um, Kind of a cop out there, but um, I think I would say I lean more towards, yeah. I'm thinking I, I might agree with you. Definitely not a first ballot guy. No, no. I can see him being that, oh, he's been on the the ballot for six or seven years and there's not a lot of other guys this year maybe we maybe we vote for him (laughs) yeah that's that's a possibility so i'm i'm looking on on baseball reference at his kind of similarity scores and in the hall of fame metrics that they have and he is exactly what we're talking about he's close but he's not kind of within that green area of yeah he's totally you know a future hall of famer right one thing that they do list is they list uh, similar batters both career-wise and through their current age and i agree i mean some of these names are guys that are really good but not in the hall of fame guys like will clark maglio ordonez ellis burks lance berkman adrian gonzalez tim salmon i think he fits right in with those guys and I'm not sure that those guys deserve to be in the Hall of Fame either. Every one of them you could make a debate for. I, I agree, but it, it's uh, none of them are shoe in first balloters. I like Joey Votto though. I'm, oh, I do. I'm too. gonna right. gonna throw my hat in the Votto Hall of Fame vote when it comes to. It. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna announce my decision right here live, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm certainly leaning that direction. So this is the time uh, in in our BP segment where we talk about debuts, people that made their major league debut on this date. This uh, podcast is premiering on October 15th. There are actually six people that made their debut. The latest one was in 1899. So again, I have I have no under, no idea how they how they're just making their debut this late in the season back before the turn of the century, but these names are I mean I don't think anybody's... I think I've heard of one of these guys, but these names are great. We've got Buck Buchanan, uh, Shadow Pyle, who I believe I've heard of Shadow Pyle. I don't know why. Shadow Pyle, uh, Gomer's cousin. Yes, that's right. Well, probably like great, great, great cousin because he debuted in 1884. Uh, Next, we've got 
Bumpus Jones, Heine Pites, and Eddie Kolb. Those are some great names. Eddie got rooked on the nickname. He's kind of boring. He's no Heine Pites or Bumpus Jones. I mean, we we all love Heine and Bumpus, you know? So I think well, I do want to highlight one birthday here, though. In 1945, Jim Palmer was born on oh, this day. Jim Palmer. Nice. Hall of Fame pitcher, three-time World Series champion, three-time Cy Young Award winner, current Orioles broadcaster, but in his day, quite the underwear model. Yes, he, he definitely had that going for him. If you remember um, the movie The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad, he's one of the announcers. And the baseball one of the was, 18 announcers yeah, like 18 announcers including <laughs> dr joyce brothers and mel allen and stuff like that and it's kind of funny just just because you brought his name up i asked him about that once and he said uh they paid him three thousand dollars and a first class ticket round trip from baltimore to la so he jumped all over it <laughs> <laughs> i'd do it yeah he said it was really funny he said he had a good time and it was it was you know easy money I said, that's why movies cost millions of dollars, because to do a five-second cameo, they forked over, you know, three grand plus a first-class ticket. Yeah, probably for most of those guys. Yeah, and like like we said, they, they were going for the laugh of overdoing it, you know. And having, it worked. It did. Oh, it got me laughing. Yeah, uh, since this is a baseball history podcast, uh, I also want to mention, we I, I mentioned this is debuting on October 15th. We're recording this on October 13th, though. And I do want to mention something that happened on this day in 1988, and it sounded something like this. Sacks waiting on deck, but the game right now is at the plate. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. So uh, that, that's a hard one for me to swallow. That one but still hurts. Oh. yeah, but I mean, what a I mean, what a moment, though. Well, you you can't get any bigger or more clutch, really. You know what I'm saying? I mean, to limp up there, they put a bat in his hands, and you know, I think he was missing an arm at that point or something. <laughs> he only had one eye. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Bad eye, had a patch over one eye and yeah. a hook for one hand. And, and when he had a hook for a foot, too, which is really weird. Yeah, that's usually you have like a stump or something, but he went yeah. with a hook. I yeah. guess more intimidating. But. Yeah, well, it's, you know, what can you say? Kurt Gibson, you got us. What can you do, you know? That was the first the, the first official walk-off home run. And, of course, we've covered it, what Eckersley really meant by walk-off. but <laughs> That's right. That's right. Really made a lot of sense the way he described it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess it does, but not the way anybody thinks of it ever. (laughs) Right. Exactly. All right. So that's gonna that's gonna wrap up our BP segment. Now, I want to try something new here. Uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna probably. I I, first of all, I'm running out of baseball cards packs to open here, so we we need to we need to get on that. But Mark, I have put together a test for you here quiz a pop quiz and i thought we'd run through it now i want to give the listeners also a chance to think about these questions and then at the end of uh, our main segment we will revisit these and go over the answers okay so i've got 10 questions for you okay are you ready as ready as i'm ever gonna be all right 
Question number one, how many former catchers started the 2019 season as managers? Wow. So I've already covered that there are quite a few uh, open managerial spots right now. Yeah, yeah. But to start the season, how many former catchers were managers in the major leagues? There's, there's a ton of them. I'm not going to sit here and try and count them off because that would make for bad radio. But uh, I'm going to throw a guess out there. I'm going to go with 13. All right. And that's, that's, that's a lot. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. I know, but it's, it's a trend. All right. Question number two. How many teams don't wear their last names on the back of their home whites or road gray jerseys? I believe there's only two. All right. Bonus question. Yeah. How many teams have no alternate jerseys? Wow. That's a tough one. Um, it, it's going to be a total stab in the dark at three. All right. By the way, I made these. I'm very proud of this test. I made these up. This was not a quiz I found online. I made every one right, of these no, questions up. So this is good. All right, question number three. The White Sox center fielder that we've talked about many times who is nicknamed the One Dog. What's his real name? <laughs> you, you had to do this one to me. I do, you've mentioned him three times. <laughs> I, I know, but I don't listen to the show. You, you, don't, you don't pay any attention. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it's not Sean Casey again. Yep. We've, we've determined he's the mayor. Yes. Who is nicknamed one dog? One dog. Uh, I'm going to go with. He wore uh, Jersey number one for the white Sox in center field. Oh, Spuds McKenzie. All right, I'm just going to put you down for a don't know on that question. <laughs> well, he was one dog. I'm just saying. <laughs> so is underdog, but no, that yeah. is not, that is not correct. All right, question number four. There are only two Major League franchises to never appear in the World Series. Name them. I believe we would uh, be talking about the Seattle Mariners. Yeah. And, gosh, um, is it the Montreal Expos slash Nationals? I'm not going to tell you if you're right or not. All I'm right. just writing this down. We'll, we'll get after our main segment. We'll review these and go over the answers. Okay. Question uh, number five. Which player was not named Rookie of the Year? A, Mike Trout, B, Albert Pujols, C, Chipper Jones, or D, Scott Rowland? I believe Mike Trout. Okay. Question number six. There were 31 no-hitters thrown in the 1990s. Which of these pitchers did not throw one of them? Okay. A, Dwight Gooden, B, Roger Clemens, C, Bob Malacki, or D, Francisco Cordova? Ooh. Um, gosh, did Dwight, I think, I, I know Doc Gooden, no, hit the Mariners at some point, because I remember that. <laughs> and everybody else did this year. Yeah, yeah, we, at least twice, almost a third time. That would have been fun. Um, so you said Gooden, you say Malacki? See, we've got Gooden, Clemens, Malaki, or Francisco Cordova. Uh, I'm going to go with Roger Clemens. Okay. I don't think he threw one. Question number seven. The 1990s had many players who were nicknamed with the word big included in their nickname. <laughs> Name me as many as you can. Uh, well, we got the big hurt and the big unit. 
and Big Donut. That one? <laughs> well, it's a nickname. Whether or not it's a player from the 90s, I'm not going to reveal till later. Um, man, I, th- you know, I can only think of those two. Are there more than that? I will tell you there are more than that. Okay. And you'll kick yourself when I tell them to you. But yes, there are. All right. Uh, question number eight. In the decade, this one's a gimme for you. In the decade of the 80s, Ricky Henderson led the league in steals nine times. Who bested him in the 1997 season? Oh, man. Uh, or 1980. I'm sorry. 1987. 1987. Um, okay. So we're talking about 87 was a big year for Harold Reynolds. So I'm going to go with Harold Reynolds. Question number nine. Uh, besides the Sultan of Swat, give me one of Babe Ruth's other three nicknames. The King of Crash, the Colossal of Clout, and the the Babe? That doesn't count, does it? No. Big, crazy, awesome dude. I don't know. That's all I got. All right. And the final question, another multiple choice, in their most productive five-year span of home runs so the five-year span in which they had the best number of home runs in their career who hit more babe ruth mark mcguire barry bonds or ken griffey jr there was a period i'm gonna go with griffey just because there was a period where he was just he was automatic in the kingdom isn't that a rem album automatic in the kingdom yeah, yeah, I think I think it was. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go with Mr. Griffey on that one. They're they're from uh, they're from Athens, Georgia, but they are big Mariner fans. You would you would think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So there's our ten questions. Uh, I've got your answers down here, Mark. Listeners, you can keep capitulating on these. We're gonna do our stories, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna revisit this, and I will give you the answers, and we will see what Mark's score is, and then uh, we'll let everybody uh, let us know what they scored as well. Next time, can you give me the answers in advance? <laughs> Absolutely. Because oh. this, I'll tell you what, I had a lot of fun making these questions. It was, uh, it was fun to just kind of think of things and then go see if I could make a question out of it. But Yeah, th- those are not easy. So, um, you know, I-, I appreciate the challenge. All right. So let's uh, jump into our main segment right now. Uh, and then we'll get to these answers a little bit later. So uh, we actually flipped a legitimate coin this time. Seriously. And uh, I chose Tails Never Fails, but it failed me. Uh, And Mark chose to go first, but I wanted to go second anyway. So Tails still never failed me. But Mark, why don't you start us off with uh, your topic for the week? Sure. Uh, I want to talk about, it's something called the Chalmers Award, which uh, basically... Principal Chalmers? Is this a Simpsons reference? This is... uh, Or no, Superintendent Chalmers. I'm sorry. Superintendo Chalmers. Yes. (laughs) I believe Ralph Wiggum, Super Nintendo Chalmers, something like that, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, this is this was the precursor to the MVP award, and um, it was awarded from 1910 through 1914. And uh, Chalmers, what Chalmers was, is Chalmers Motor Company, and they were an American automobile company out of Detroit. There were a few of those. Uh, named after Hugh Chalmers, who started the company, and uh, it was they merged with the Maxwell Automobile Company, which was the forerunner of Chrysler, 
1922 and wrapped up all their production by 1923. So they were actually a pretty popular luxury model uh, automobile company. And Chalmers decided they wanted to give a MVP award to whoever won the batting title in Major League Baseball. So 1910, they said, whoever wins a batting title, American League, National League, all the above, whoever the number one uh, hitter as far as batting title is going to get a brand new Chalmers uh, motor vehicle. So, yeah. I'm I'm looking at some pictures of these Chalmers motor vehicles right now. Yeah. And my favorite thing about it is this is during the time when the horn was a big bulb and the person had to actually squeeze it and then it would go, wauga, wauga. Those are the best parts of, of the cars right there, man. Uh, <laughs> Chalmers Motor Car Company of Detroit, uh, they decided that uh, they were going to give the Chalmers Model 30. So that was one of the most luxurious automobiles ever made to whoever won the batting title. So, um, you know, it, it was an award that only lasted five seasons, but he's going to be forever linked. Hugh Chalmers will be forever linked uh, with one of the earliest attempts to honor the best player in baseball. So that's kind of cool. So let's see, it was about 110 years ago. And uh, in the National League, the batting title winner was Sherry McGee. That's M-A-G-E-E, and it's Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-Y. But it was a guy, I'm pretty sure. That Sherry, wasn't the, the, the lamb chop, the puppet, not no, Sherry. No, this uh, is somebody, okay. Somebody yeah, else. no, I think I think they're related, though. I'm, I don't know, it's kind of weird. Sherry McGee of the Philadelphia Phillies, he led the National League that year hitting 331. But uh, the Chalmers car was going to go to whoever won the batting title in the AL because that's where all the action was. Um, in the American League, there's a guy named who, who we have talked about before, uh, whose first name was Napoleon, and his last name is Lajouet. Did I say it right, do you think? That's uh, Nap Lajouet? That's how I say it. Nap Lajouet. Napoleon Lajouet or Nap Lajouet. He was this guy. You got to understand, this guy was as good of a hitter as they could get right-hander. Uh, it was a dead ball era. So there was a little bit of power, but mostly the guy just, he was a terror to get on base. Um, he got, so he had Nap Lajoie and Ty Cobb, who was the other guy going for that, bat, that batting title. Ty Cobb, a lifetime 366 hitter. Check this out. Ty Cobb's lifetime OPS was 945 and his career war is 151. Not bad. So these no, guys, I'll, I'll take it. I'll sign him right now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Can the A's develop one of these? Can the A's develop a Ty Cobb? You could, you could only hope. Uh, they were, they were in this battle for the batting title. Uh, now the difference between these guys was night and day. And uh, Naplajoie was uh, most one of the most gregarious and well-liked players in the game. Ty Cobb, not as much. Although uh, I have done some reading lately, some attempts been made to rehabilitate his image there, there's a, a little bit of that going on and we, we might have to touch on that on another show though but uh yes uh napoleon lajouet uh also known as the frenchman we'll just call him nap from now on it's just easier on me and my scottish tongue uh he was one of the most fierce hitters of all time six foot one 200 pounds really big for that time in baseball um in his 21 year career he was also very solid defensively he led the league in putouts five times, assists three times, double plays five times, fielding percentage four times. So the guy was an all-around just super player. And we hear a lot about Ty Cobb. We don't hear about Nap that often. 
even though he won, uh, it's either, and we'll get into this, either four or is it five batting titles, uh, including the modern uh, era record of 426 back for the Philadelphia Athletics in 1901. And he was the first person to ever win a Triple Crown in the American League. And he finished with a lifetime 338 batting average. So he was a pretty good player, too. Now, let me let me ask you about that, because to win the Triple Crown, yes. that means you won the RBI total, isn't it? Yes. And RBIs weren't an official stat until the 19, I don't remember, was it 1920 or something like that? Did he play that long? He, no, I don't believe he did. Because that was 1901, so if it wasn't RBI wasn't a stat then, somehow he still won it. It's pretty impressive when you don't even know what an RBI is and you lead the league. <laughs> I mean, the guy was, you know, obviously way ahead of his time. Um, so anyway, he was he was solid. The, these two, Ty Cobb and Nap Lajoie, were in this uh, locked horns for this batting title, and who was going to win this awesome Chalmers automobile? Uh, so Cobb's hitting 385 going into the last two games of the season. He decides he's not going to play. Okay, he he's going to let that 385 stand sure. there, and we'll, we'll see if if Nap can catch him. Reminds me a little bit of the uh, Ricky Henderson George, George Brett. Brett. Yeah, you remember that? I remember that well because I was pretty angry about it. Yeah, but I like George Brett. I forgive I, him. I have nothing against George Brett, but I thought that was kind of weak. I'm going to sit and let's see if Ricky can catch me in the batting title. Uh, well, to each their own. I mean, it's not like Brett wasn't a great player. It's not like it's not that at all. It's just that I've got I, some embarrassing dirt on Brett coming up in my segment. So it's oh, okay. good. Well, see, he, he uh, you know, he's still one of the greatest players to ever pick up a bat. But uh, I, I was not a fan of of when he did that. So the same idea. Ty Cobb said, eh. I'm going to sit out the last couple games. Whereas Knapp, he had a doubleheader in the last game of the season. It sounds a lot like Ted Williams, doesn't it, too? Well, it, it takes a kind of a more different, uh, kind of difficult turn here real quickly. Um, so you got Cobb hitting 385, and with two games left, Knapp Lajoie has is hitting 376. So it doesn't seem that close, right, for two games left. So there's no way that Lajoie could catch him, right? Incorrect. He got eight hits and eight at bats, taking his batting average up to 384. Jeez. I'm wondering wow. because, okay, now Ty Cobb was not a very popular figure. Right. You're, you're, you're figuring it out. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the Browns manager, Jack O'Connor, they were playing the Browns. Jack O'Connor ordered his third baseman, Red Corridan, to play on the outfield grass, conceding a hit for any ball Lajway bunted. <laughs> Tricky. So eight bunts, eight hits. He's up to 384. He's .001 basically behind Ty Cobb. Comes up for his ninth at bat, puts the ball in play, safe at first. The official scorer calls it an error. Now, we've discussed what a thankless job the official scorer job is right now. Imagine that one. You're deciding who gets the Chalmers luxury automobile. And you got what, what was it? Was it another bunt? Did somebody field it? Why is there a, why is there it a question a, as to whether it's a hit? It was a third, uh, but it wasn't fielded completely cleanly. The, the official scorer um, decided, it probably made the right call just from someone who has done official scoring. 
You know, it, it, you don't want to make a mistake like that and have it be blatant and obvious. So it, it had to have been something at least close. Had it been a hit, LaJoy would have won the batting title outright. But since he was eight for nine, instead of nine for nine, Ty Cobb wins the batting title. And here, here okay. are the final numbers. Well, uh, first of all, I, I'm okay with this because if he would have gone eight for eight or nine for nine, whatever, and, and beat, you know, a legitimate eight for eight, that's cool, but this is just as bad as sitting out when you've I, got the lead. I agree. I agree entirely. This is you're so, better than that nap. Yeah, come on, nap. Um, but the the uh, final tallies were uh, Cobb hit 385 or exactly point three eight five zero six nine to Naps 384 or three eight four zero nine five. So Cobb won by zero point zero 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 nine seven four. Well, and I'd like to also just give shout outs to the French people for still naming their kids Napoleon. I mean, that's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, French, the, the French and, and he wasn't I believe he was Corsican, uh, not Naplageway. I mean, Napoleon. Anyway, sorry about that. I I busted into a history broadcast. This is a, a history podcast now. Screw baseball. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, So. Word got back to Ban Johnson, who was the American League president back then. Uh, Johnson, not amused. He didn't think this was very cool. He didn't think it was good for the integrity of the batting title. So he said, you know what? Nobody's changing anything. All the batting averages, the way they stand, are official. Ty Cobb wins the batting title. So the American League decided Cobb gets the championship. It was very, very, very controversial. So Chalmers being, you know, a smart, good marketing company, came out and said, each player gets a nice car. So they each ended up getting, they gave one to each of, of Nap and Ty. And uh, Lejoy later said that he heard that his car ran a lot better than Ty Cobb's car did, just because <laughs> they liked him a lot more. Um, so basically, Chalmers declared it a tie. Uh, ben Johnson said Cobb won. Um, it, it, it's kind of interesting. Now here's, here's where it gets kind of nasty. Jack O'Connor, who was the manager of the Browns, um, and coach Harry Howell tried to bribe the official scorer into changing the call to a hit the official scorer. I couldn't find her name, but, uh, was a woman who was actually very, uh, very adept at official scoring. That's, so they that's offered, interesting enough just to have an, a, a female official scorer at this I know, time. I know, especially back then, exactly. So they it doesn't even happen very often today. Wow. No, I, I, if, if at all, as a matter of fact. I mean, there's just got to be female official scorers. But yeah, back then, back in 1910, um, they offered to buy her a whole new wardrobe. And when the league brass found out about that, they banned Jack O'Connor and Harry Howell from baseball for life. So two guys gone for trying to bribe the official scorer to win a car for Nap Lajoie, uh, and they were going to buy her a new wardrobe. So that's In, in games of- that were basically meaningless. It was really just this yes. about this award. It was really a hatred for Ty Cobb. And, and Nap Lajoy had nothing to do with this. This isn't like the, no. the Black Sox scandal where the no, players no. are in on it. This is just, these are just writers or fans, whoever they are, just wanting to stick it to Cobb. Yeah. 
Exactly. It, that's exactly what it was. And it's, it was such a controversial thing that the next year, Chalmers decided to give the award to what they called then the MVP, the most valuable player, instead of the player with the highest batting average. So 1911, guess what? Ty Cobb won it again. So he won his second car. 1911 was a year he hit 420, and, and, you know, which was his best season ever. So Cobb made up for, you know, uh, winning only by a percentage of a percentage of a percentage by hitting 420 the next year and, and outright winning the Chalmers Award. Um, they went on to give this award through the 1914 season. And then it, uh, Chalmers kind of drifted away from baseball. And then Chalmers Motor Company, as we talked about, went and became part of the company that eventually became Chrysler. Um, so the story does not end there. This is what's hilarious. 70 years later, 1981, okay, around 70 years later, the sporting news historian Paul McFarlane is going through old box scores and stats and discovers that Ty Cobb was mistakenly credited with two extra hits during the season. Basically, they counted a two-for-three game twice for Ty Cobb. This sounds remarkably similar to what I spoke about last episode with Ed Delahante yes. and the aforementioned Nap Lajoie and their disputed uh, batting title, which was again this might this might even have been the same guy that came up with it because he's pouring through these old box scores. Exact yes. same thing. Yes, exactly. Um, the game that was counted twice was a two for three game for Cobb. And as a result, his 1910 batting stats should have been 194 for 506 and a 383, 399 batting average, which was actually a little bit less than 0. .0007 behind Lajoie, who was 227 for 591. So in all honesty, if you take that extra game away, Nap Lajoie actually won the batting title that year he keeps However, getting screwed out of these yeah, I, I know so this comes up in 81 right and so they go to commissioner bowie kuhn and they say hey 1910 cobb's got two more hits than he should have bowie kuhn says no we're not taking it away from him um it, you know it is and it's going to stay the way it is so that preserves cobb's string of nine consecutive american league batting titles so it, it gets even weirder as we go on in 1981. So now I'm looking all over the place to say who, see who is really officially declared the batting title champion in 1910. Major League Baseball says it's Ty Cobb. Saber, uh, baseball reference, says it's Nap Lajoie. Um, everybody is, you know, everybody has their own opinion. I've decided that I'm going to make the official call. This is going to be it. This is the two strike noise decision. Your dogs are also. Got a, got an opinion on. back there. They're cheering, They're cheering me on. on. <laughs> and uh, so I'm officially calling it for Nap Lajoie. It, he, uh, he is the official batting title winner of 1910, so says Mark A. Johnston. Um, <laughs> congratulations, Nap. Congratulations, uh, we're Nap. Gonna, we're going to need the Cobb family to return the Chalmers uh, luxury vehicle <laughs> or, uh, you know, whatever it was worth, uh, whatever it would be worth today. Just so, just contact us on social media. I'm going to be collecting that car uh, or the money for it. Thank you very much. 
Um, so that that's the story of the very first MVP award, as it were, and how non-controversial it was. Be- people getting banned from baseball for life, people doing numbers 80 years later and discovering whoever won didn't really win, or maybe he did. Crazy stuff, man. You got to love baseball. You got to love stats. That is uh, that is a great story. That You've done two, uh, the last two episodes are things that I had no idea about, yeah, which just, is awesome. I'm running into weird stuff. It's You're great. on fire. I am in fuego. All right. So now uh, it's my turn. And I am going to uh, I'm going to mention a couple of the people that you you talked about at some point. But I want to talk about cheating in baseball. And first of all, you know, we're coming up on on the 100 year anniversary of the 1919 Chicago Black Sox scandal. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it, at least not this episode, because it, it really deserves a maybe a whole episode where we both talk about it. Uh, there's some good books and frankly, some other podcasts out there right now that are talking about it and doing a great job. But I wanted to talk just about cheating in general. I'm, I don't I'm not going to talk about PEDs. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to talk about everybody that's ever. I'm not going to talk about Michael Pineda getting busted for having a little, uh, a little pine tar on his neck. But I, I will, I will cover pine tar. But just want to do a kind of a broad overview of some of the more crazy things that people have gotten busted for cheating or how they got busted for cheating. First of all, I wanted to talk about the what I just mentioned, pine tar, and why a pitcher might want to use it. First of all, I hear a lot of players, batters, saying, I don't care if a pitcher has pine tar. I'd rather him be able to throw the ball where he means to rather than, you know, him have it slip out of his hand and nail me or, or just, yeah. you know, be nowhere close. One thing I did find out, though, is while uh, pine tar does give a better grip for the pitcher, it is absolutely considered cheating, and there's a good reason why. It also gives the, the pitcher more spin rate when they throw the ball. And the faster the ball spins, obviously, the more movement there is. And so there is a legitimate reason why currently pine tar is outlawed and, you know, is illegal for a pitcher to be using. It's interesting, though, like you mentioned, how it's kind of a look the other way kind of attitude. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about a couple of things from from this year specifically. Uh, Mike Fires, no hitter, the A's. Yeah. earlier in the season john boy who i'm guessing most people that listen to this podcast probably know who john boy is on the internet he breaks down a whole bunch of baseball videos he's a big yankees fan too but he's he's all over uh, twitter youtube all these things he broke down mike fires no hitter in a video and i'm going to throw a link to that video in the show notes i really suggest you go and watch it because mike fires was absolutely loading up on pine tar it was hmm. in the uh, in the heel of his glove, and you could see every time that a new ball was put into play, he would take his glove off, and you would see him dig into his glove, and then he would rub up that new ball with pine tar. Absolutely, wow. he was loaded in that game. No kidding. Also, being an A's fan, my my ears kind of perk up whenever I you know hear of an A's player or former player or something doing something. Apparently, earlier this year, and I have not found this video yet, Dallas Braden who remember through that perfect game uh, for the A's on Mother's Day yep. over a decade ago. Yep. There is uh, a video of him breaking down one of his starts where he's showing every time that he's going and putting pine tar on a baseball. Oh, my. No kidding. So, I mean, this is, and, and like you said, you you know it from having been a, a bat boy. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty, a, a kind of a common, you know, knowledge that, that pitchers are using 
pine tar to to help grip. In the final weekend of the season, I upgraded a couple of my tickets to the A's games, and they were playing the Rangers. And I actually sat in the first row behind the Rangers bullpen down the right field line. Uh-huh. Literally front row right there. I was listening to them talk. <laughs> nice. uh, they were in my way when they were warming up. But uh, I watched one, and I don't remember who it was, but he was warming up, and then he got called into the game. And the last thing he did before he went into the game is he kneeled down. You know, they've got a ball bag right there on the mound in the bullpen. And the bullpen is obviously just in foul territory in Oakland. It's You're not hidden in a bullpen behind a wall. So it's a little bit harder to do this. Right. In Oakland or San Francisco, you know, any of the few remaining Tampa, the few remaining places where the bullpen is in play. He kneeled down behind this bag, took his hat off and took that spray uh, pine tar and he just covered his hat with it. And then he stood back up and put it on. And I mean, he obviously was trying to hide what he was doing because he was kneeled down. He kind of turned his back to the infield and sprayed it and then put it on and he went in. And uh, I, I've also noticed just during the playoffs here, Carlos Martinez, uh, he of the respect me unless I do something good and then I'm not going to respect you uh, right. antics on the mound. Right. When, when, the, when he's wearing a white jersey, his non-pitching shoulder is completely brown. He no, has sure. got pine tar all over it. And I don't know why someone wouldn't call it if, uh, you know, if he's pitching well, why they wouldn't call him on it. Yeah, wow. That is that is one, I think, easy and kind of accepted way that you can cheat right now. I would guess sometime in the near future it's going to be legal, though. It's it's interesting how back when I, and I have discussed the story of when the team that I worked for sent me to go in and see if the other pitcher was cheating. The, the people that sent me in to check uh, were very specific in saying, we don't care if he's using pine tar. Uh, you know, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for if he's got something slick or slippery. But pine tar, eh, everybody uses it. Yeah, I think I think I think everybody uses it, so nobody really cares. Yeah. Another way pitchers cheat have been they put other things in their in their glove to scuff the ball. Oh, yeah. I had not heard this before. Rick Honeycutt, who I think he's the pitching coach for the Dodgers right now, is he not? I think so. Yeah. Well, he apparently in the 1980 season he was pitching for the Mariners. He had a propensity for putting a thumbtack in his glove. To scuff oh, the ball. Nice. He, uh, at one point, with his glove on, went to wipe his brow, to wipe the sweat off with his glove hand, forgot that the thumbtack was there, and uh, essentially uh, bladed himself nice. uh, as if he was a professional wrestler. <laughs> and hopefully got paid all, all of a sudden, he is uh, just dripping blood, and he's like, oh, I'm an idiot. But that's how he got caught. That's funny. Uh, another rather embarrassing and obvious way to get caught is to cork your bat and then to break that bat in said at bat during an actual game. Of course, we've seen video of Chris Sabo, Sammy Sosa, Billy Hatcher got busted for this. Greg Nettles even got busted for that nope. uh, back in the early 80s. Uh, do you remember Amos Otis for sure. the uh, Kansas City Royals? Yeah. So he claims he used a corked bat his entire career. <laughs> but wow. just never broke one i guess or or broke one broke a bat enough that whatever he had stuffed in there came out but he claims he used it entire career interesting wow. by the way you might want to listen back one of our very first episodes we covered batgate and albert bell and yes. the 
whole saga of trying to get his bat back while uh, while playing against the Chicago White Sox. So maybe go back and listen to that episode if you haven't heard that. You do it. it it's actually a great story, especially when when uh, Jeff gives us kind of the inside dope uh, behind the scenes on what really happened. That's a fun episode. Yeah, that was that was a good one. Uh, this one is, uh, I said I wasn't going to mention PEDs, and I'm not, but this is uh, something kind of related, and this isn't really this isn't really cheating, and it's a great story that I maybe will cover more in depth on another episode, but the uh, the Pittsburgh drug trials involving Major League Baseball, the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, as everybody did in the late 70s, uh, early 80s, a lot of cocaine going around the clubhouse. If you remember, Tim Raines actually told everybody that the reason he slid headfirst is he didn't want to break the cocaine vial he always kept in his back pocket. Yep. The Pirates had an interesting way of getting their supply. Uh, they had their mascot, the the pirate or the pirate parrot. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. Their mascot's a big parrot outfit. Would uh, actually smuggle in the the uh, the drugs for them and uh, give it to them in their locker room. I thought that was rather interesting that they uh, they elicited the help of a mascot to get their drugs. Well, you know what? Who's going to frisk the mascot? No, I mean, you just, you brings in, because those things are smelly too, because they're hard to wash. So it's kind of like hockey equipment. It just doesn't get clean and it just gets smellier and smellier. So yeah, who wants to check that? <laughs> yes, his name is, by the way, the Pirate Parrot. I was going to call him Polly. I yeah, thought that I, made sense. I think no. his real name is Mitch, but he goes by the <laughs> pirate parrot. Uh, equally odd Pittsburgh mascot mishap, by the way. In 2010, one of the pierogi mascots decided that he was no longer happy with the direction the team was was headed and posted some typical hot takes by a fan on Facebook about a couple of contract extensions that had just been handed out. But uh, the Bucks president, Frank Conley, uh, was apparently searching Facebook posts for his name. He was just like Googling his name and came across one of these posts and uh, they they called this mascot and immediately told him he would no longer be, uh, his services were no longer needed. So That's, Those are the pirate pierogies, uh, a bunch of pierogies that run around. Yes, I've got their names here, by the way. Oh, cheese good. Chester, which they really should have gone with Chester Cheese, but yeah. maybe I, Cheetos might have sued them with that. I don't know. Uh, sauerkraut, Sal, Oliver Onion, and Jalapeno Hannah. No word on which character. <laughs> oh he was. my gosh, I dated a Jalapeno Hannah. Wow. Ah, very she interesting. Yeah. I uh, remember Joe Necro getting busted with the twins when he emptied oh, yeah. his pockets out on the mound and an emery board he tried to throw to first base. <laughs> <laughs> emery board that he just acted like, hey, yeah, no, I'm pulling ah. my, uh, I'm yeah. emptying my pockets. There's nothing there. Oh, that. I just remember him looking at, oh, that. Well, you know, <laughs> sure. I well, emery. this is my question, though. Okay, he's a knuckleball pitcher. So, yeah, he's got it. He, I can totally see him filing his nails in between innings. But how is he going to use that during a game? Well, he's on the mound. How's he going to pull it out of his back pocket and use it? That's a good question. Yeah, I think I think he just realized it was there when they came out to check him, and he's like, "Ugh, I'm busted." So he tried yeah. to get out of it. I don't think he was. Gonna, I don't think you could use it on the mound. Well, he said but, he used it because of the knuckleball. He used it to keep his fingernails, uh, you know, yeah, clear and and so on. But he would I do have, that between innings, though. Yeah, well, that's a good point. You, why do you have it in your pocket is the question. Yeah. I think he just put it there and forgot. I'm, I believe his story, Frank. Highly possible. 
Mm-hmm. By the way, he la- he went on Letterman after that, and he came out with a belt sander hanging from his belt. Which <laughs> That's great. Uh, of course, we've got Ryan Braun, who I said I wasn't going to mention steroids, but this guy, I, 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 I want to like him, but he's just kind of such a dirtbag because he swore up and down that he was clean. Oh, yeah. He blamed the guy that collected the sample. That guy lost his job. He was just trashed in the media. And then MLB found a, you know, they busted one of these clinics in Florida and they found Braun's name on it. And then he finally admitted to it. Yeah. You know, but he flat out just lied. And and this this blue collar working guy got fired for it because this guy didn't want to didn't want to get busted. Uh, The Red Sox a couple of years ago got busted for using Apple watches to steal signs. Uh, in 2017, a member of the Red Sox training staff would look at his Apple Watch in the dugout and then relay a message to another player who in turn would signal teammates on the field about what type of pitch was about to be thrown. Wow. And so, I mean, the, the, that's making, they, they said, you know, that really cuts down the amount of time it takes to get signals out if you're watching on a monitor versus yeah, like yeah. running down the running down the hallway and yelling it to somebody who then signals it. <laughs> you just kind of text message it. But right. The wow. Red Sox athletic trainer, John Jokum, uh, is seen looking at his Apple Watch and some footage and then passing information to outfielder Brock Holt and Dustin Pedroia, who was injured but in uniform at the time. And uh, in one instance, Pedroia is even seen passing the information along to Chris Young, who is at the plate. So wow. there you go. Busted. And you know who busted. busted him? Who provided all this information? The New York Yankees. That is funny. So I mentioned I was gonna I was gonna bring up George Brett. Can't skip his pine tar incident when it comes to to cheating, which we'll get to the bottom of the story, and you'll know that it was ruled that he actually wasn't cheating. Uh, but of course, I think even my mom has seen the video of him charging out of the mound to Tim McClellan, you know, all seven foot three Tim McClellan, yes. uh, and just going crazy. But the interesting story I thought here was about the Bat Boy, the visiting Bat Boy. His name was Merritt Riley, huge Yankee fan. Uh, he was the visiting team's Bat Boy, and there was one specific rule that the visiting team's Bat Boy had to follow, and it was when somebody hit the ball, run out, grab the bat, and immediately take it back to the rack. That was it. That was like yeah. the main number one rule. So Riley actually, though, became friends with George Brett before this incident. Uh, Brett would give him a hard time in the dugout in the clubhouse, and he really liked George Brett, even though he was a Yankee fan. So when he, Brett hit that huge home run, he was actually happy for his friend. So he went out to home plate as Brett circling uh, the bases, and he picked up the bat. But instead of immediately running back, he waited there because he wanted to congratulate George oh. when he hit home plate. And this gave the Yankees manager, Billy Martin, and I mentioned this on on our Billy Martin episode, time to look at the bat and see that, you know, the Yankees, first of all, knew that his, he put too much pine tar on it. But this gave them the opportunity to see that, yes, the bat that he just used to hit that home run to go ahead of us has too much pine tar. And so then, you know, the whole incident happened. Uh, Brett held no ill will towards Riley after the game. Some of his teammates sure did, but uh, Brett was uh, kidding around with him in the clubhouse afterwards, and and they've since become good friends. Here's a quote from uh, George Brett. Instead of being remembered as the guy who had hemorrhoids, I'm the pine tar guy. (laughs) So (laughs) we will, uh, I'm sure we'll mention the the hemorrhoids incident at some point. It's definitely a step up, though. Yeah, yeah, I'd much rather be the, the pine tar guy as well. 
Yeah. The New York Giants were infamous for stealing signs from center field from that clubhouse at the polo grounds, mm-hmm. like all 874 feet away from home plate. Supposedly, they did this uh, on Robbie Thompson shot heard around the world as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The home run, I'm, I, I read a story that Robbie Thompson's home run was only like 260 feet. But because it was the polo grounds, it was a home run. But it would have been like a short fly out to left and other. I am trying to get confirmation. If anybody knows, can find an actual distance, let me know. I'm really interested to know. That was actually the, I didn't know this, the first nationally televised game. Nationally televised. So everybody could see either. it. Huh. Yeah. The Giants win the pennant. The Giants win the pennant. Very famous. Uh, the team used a telescope in the clubhouse behind, uh, right in center field. And uh, they would steal the signs from the catcher and then relay it via a buzzer wire connected to the clubhouse for telephones so that the dugout and the bullpen uh, would each know one buzz was for a fastball and two was for an off-speed pitch. (laughs) Wow. That's impressive. Uh, I mentioned in our nickname episode, uh, Pierce, what's the use, chills, that uh, when he was a Phillies third base coach, he had uh, some exposed wires uh, wired up into the third base coach's box and it would always be wet there and he would uh, get buzzed to tell his uh, to tell him what kind of pitch it was coming so he was electrocuting himself to try and <laughs> <laughs> relay what kind of pitch was coming anything for a win anything for a win this one's a little bit more high tech uh, a couple of years ago the cardinals were busted for hacking into the houston astros database onto their servers those cheaters yeah, they were. They cost them two, their two top picks in the 2017 draft. And uh, the FBI said that Christopher Correa, no no relation to the current Astro shortstop, was able to gain access using a password similar to that used by a Cardinals employee who used to work, well, he worked for the Cardinals and then left to go work at the Astros. And he kept the same password when he went to the Astros. So update your password, kids. <laughs> Lesson learned. So he he logged on to that, and through that, he gained other people's credentials. And uh, so he accessed the uh, database and other accounts over 60 times over two years, but he claims he was just making sure the Astros weren't hacking the Cardinals. So uh-huh. <laughs> those 60 times he broke in, he was just checking Right, out. just making sure. And then the last one I wanted to mention is A-Rod. Do you remember? I remember two cases of A-Rod cheating. Flat out cheating. I was at the the Sky Dome where he's running to on base, and I think yes. it was there were two outs, and there was a pop up to third, and the third baseman and the shortstop are there, and he yells, "I got it! I got it!" Yes. And then they both so they both stop, and it drops. <laughs> oh, what an idiot! And then of course the other time when he's running to first base and the throw is off, or the pitch. I think the pitcher pitcher was covering and was going to tag him, and he just slapped the ball out of their yeah. glove. <laughs> it, was, it was the weakest little silly, you know, limp-wristed slap at the ball. And it was just like, God, you look like an idiot. I mean, more of an idiot, dude. Yeah, so that that's blatant cheating. He was called out on both of those. I just instances. remember how ridiculous it looked. But that's A-Rod. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> what he does. Yeah. So there's a look at kind of some of the, I thought the the, the more entertaining uh, ways that people have been caught cheating. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, and kids don't cheat. This is baseball. Just go out and play. That's right. It's go fun. play baseball. Get better at it. And if you stink, maybe someday you'll have your own podcast. 
Sure. I hear podcasts are really hard to get. Yeah. They They don't hand them out to just everybody. No. No, wait. All right. So that is it for our our two segments. Uh, We talked about the Chalmers Award and uh, about cheating in baseball. So there you go. Let's. Uh, this is normally when we would do Wax Packs Heroes, which is, uh, I know it's very popular and we really enjoy it, uh, but we're doing a little different thing today. We started the show uh, in uh, the end of our VP segment. I gave Mark a quiz that I came up with, and now we are going to go through and we're going to answer these questions. We're going to total up Mark's score, and we're going to see uh, if any of our listeners can beat you. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, boy. All right. So here we go. Let's uh, let's go through these questions one more time. The question number one was, how many former catchers started the 2019 season as managers? Your response was 13. I think about half. <laughs> the answer is seven. Oh, man. I, so, see, I, I was close. So the answer, uh, Brad Osmus, since fired. Bruce Bochy, since retired. A.J. Hinch. Bob Melvin. Scott Service. Ned Yost, who I did not know. He had, I knew he played, but it was a short career, but he was a catcher. And uh, Kevin Cash of the Tampa Bay Rays, also a catcher. Oh, there you go. And Ned Yost, of course, is retired as well. So there is zero points on question number one. Question number two, how many teams don't wear their last names on the back of their home whites or road gray jerseys? You said two. The answer is actually one. Oh. Just the New York Yankees. The Red Sox and the Giants don't wear names on the back of their home jerseys, but they do on the road. Oh. Well, I thought that I was that. really interesting. I th- yeah. I thought it... W- w- so you thought of the Yankees. Were you thinking Red Sox as well? Yes, I was. Yeah, I did too until I looked it up. And then a bonus question was, how many teams have no alternate jerseys? You took a stab here at three. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I knew that. I didn't take a stab. Um, can you guess who they are, though? No. Well, you you can guess one is the Yankees, obviously. They're... <laughs> I'll go with the Yankees. And then I think you dispelled the uh, the Red Sox one. Well, they wear those red those red alternates sometimes, right. all red. Uh, the Dodgers have That's only true. two uniforms. Okay. And then this one was, uh, was, I would have probably not guessed, the Detroit Tigers. Oh. Actually, that makes sense now that you mention it. Yeah. So those are three teams with no no alternate jerseys, unless somebody tells me wrong. But I actually did quite a bit of research here, so I, I think I'm pretty right. Uh, question number three. The White Sox center fielder, who we have mentioned on numerous episodes, who was nicknamed the One Dog, is Lance Johnson. That's right. Lance Johnson. Yes. <laughs> Next week, I will, I'm going to do a special on it Lance just, Johnson. It's Lance all the time. That's Question right. number four, there are only two Major League franchises as of the time we are recording this on October 13th to never appear in the World Series. Name them. You named the Seattle Mariners and the Montreal Expos slash Washington Nationals, and you are correct. Yeah. Hey, I got another one right. Okay. Next, uh, question number five, which player was not named Rookie of the Year? A, Mike Trout. B, Albert Pujols, C, Chipper Jones, or D, Scott Rowland? The answer is Chipper Jones. He came in oh, second in 1995. Hideo Nomo was the uh, National oh, League Rookie no. of the Year in 1995. Okay. So on that one, another zero. Uh, next, we go to question number six. There were 31 no-hitters thrown in the 1990s. Which of these pitchers did not throw one of them? A, 
Doc Gooden, B, Roger Clemens, C, Bob Malaki, or D, Francisco Cordova. You guessed uh, B, Roger Clemens, and you are correct. Hey, all right. Roger Clemens never threw a no-hitter. Francisco Cordova and Bob Malaki were both part of combined no-hitters. So I threw them in there as kind of a, a trick answer, but did not fool you. Yeah. Well, once in a while, I get one right. <laughs> Next uh, question number seven, the 1990s. Give me any nicknames with the word big in it. So I'm going to give you a point for each of these that you got. So you came up with the big hurt, Frank Thomas, and the big unit, Randy Johnson. Those are both obviously correct. The other big nicknames that I had was Big Daddy Vladdy for Vladimir Guerrero, Big Mac for Mark McGuire. Oh, jeez. The Big Cat, Andres Galarraga. Wow. Big Z, Carlos Zambrano. And this one uh, I did not know, but Lance Berkman was referred to as Big Puma. Okay. Also, uh, I would have accepted Fat Elvis, which is his other nickname. <laughs> so if, if anybody has any other big nicknames from the 1990s, let me know. Big Poppy was uh, didn't debut until 2003, so before anybody sends me that, that is not correct. So you got two points on that one. Question number eight. In the decade of the 1980s, Ricky Henderson led the league in steal nine out of the ten years. Who bested him in 1987? Your guess was Harold Reynolds. That, of course, is correct. Ricky was injured so. that year. Yes. Not to take anything away from Harold Reynolds. Question number nine. Besides the Sultan of Swat, give me one or all three of Babe Ruth's other three nicknames. So I'm going to give you one point for each one you got correct. You gave me the Colossus of Clout, which is correct. You also gave me the King of Crush, which is not listed as one of his nicknames. The other two nicknames I found was the Wazer of Wham!, I don't know what W A Z I R and the Mammoth of Mall. I did not know those. (laughs) I didn't either. And then finally, question number 10 in their most productive five year home run span, who hit the most combined home runs? Your question was your answers were A, Babe Ruth, B, Mark McGuire, C, Barry Bonds, or D, Ken Griffey Jr. You guessed Griffey, which is not correct. Mm. Out of that list of four, he actually came in last. His most productive uh, years were five years were 96 through 2000. He hit 249. Babe Ruth through 1926 through 30 hit 256. Bonds through 2000 to 2004 hit 258. And the winner was Mark McGuire, who 95 through 99 hit 284 home runs. So Big Mac came out on top on that one. Totaling up your score here, you came in with a total of seven. That's acceptable. I mean, but for someone who's supposedly an expert on baseball. Well, hey, who's yeah. calling you an expert? I have. Uh, I know those words have never escaped my mouth. No, my, my cousin Bill. Oh. No, that's all. <laughs> so this is a challenge now to, uh, to our listeners. Uh, you know, let's, we, we don't, need to, don't need to inflate any numbers here. Just tell us what you got. I like I said I I came up with all of these questions on my own. It's a bunch of fun. I think we'll do we'll do some more quizzes. Mark maybe you'll come up with one for me. We'll uh we'll throw I I might even just throw these on social media just to see uh see if anybody can come up with with the correct answers here. So, 
There you go. Uh, that was fun though, Mark. Thank you for, uh, thank you for taking my test. I'll give you, I'll give you an extra point for attendance. Cool. So that is going to do it for another episode of Two Strike Noise. Uh, you can follow us and find us and talk to us and interact with us on the internet. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at T-W-O Strike Noise on both uh, Instagram and Twitter. Mark, what do you say we do this show at least one more time next week? I am all for doing it again next week. Absolutely. All right. I'm in too. Uh, so for both uh, my co-host Mark A. Johnston and myself, we will see you again on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. <laughs>